0: You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Here's a great verse. Today I just, I want to go through this pretty quick, give us a little time to to pray, but today we're going to talk about prayer and the importance of prayer, the power of prayer. And I love this verse in James 5.16. Here's the amplified version. In this verse, we don't hear the first sentence of it very much. Everybody quotes the second part of it, the second sentence, but you don't hear the first part too much. Here it is. James 5.16, amplified. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or believer is able to accomplish much. When put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. You know, we talk about man up being a place where we can come and be us. We can come and be imperfect us. Take the mask off. You don't have to be something that you're not here. And this morning, I'm going to take my mask off for you. I had a, a very challenging week this past week. Had a, But I have some great testimonies through it of the power of prayer. So I have a few stories to tell you this morning. But, you know... Uh, this past week, a little over a week ago, one of Helen's cousins, 61 years old, young guy, just like me, right? Way too young. Heart attack, aneurysm. Out mowing his yard. Died. He leaves behind a wife, kids, whole slew of little grandkids. I think the oldest one was seven or eight, and they're just stair-step right on down to a little one. Family. Heartbroken, heartbroken, and so uh, Monday morning we take off for uh, Iowa. That's where the service was going to be, and and we take off, and you know, and Helen, you know, this is her cousin. Uh, Tim was a friend of mine. Uh, they were more like brother and sister, Helen and Tim. And a little bit about Tim, he was one of those bigger than life people, just outgoing. Here's his here was his job for you guys that hunt. You will love this. He was president of Public Relations for Mossy Oak. So what was his job? He took guys hunting. celebrities, big shots, big wheels, influential people. Uh, but that was his job. That was the majority of his job. That's what he did. And it was so cool at the funeral, there was at least 50 Mossy Oak employees that attended the funeral. And they were visibly shaken and sorrowful over his death and him not going to be there. And you know, Tim, he never claimed to be a Christian. He never claimed to love the Lord. He was a good Catholic. He was a good Catholic. And did a lot of things for charity and, and all those things. But the impact he had on people was incredible. And man, it made me examine myself. But I thought, look at this guy. Look at the impact he had. And you know, with a Catholic funeral and things, you know, they always have the wake. Well, the wake was on Monday from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. So we get there kind of later in the day because it took us, what, about 10 hours to get there. And we get there and we come into the wake and we start greeting the family and loving on the family and praying with them and, And trying to give words of hope and comfort and love. And all of a sudden, one of Helen's cousins, Julie, 59 years old, comes running up to us. Running. And her face is all lit up. And I'm thinking, boy, she hasn't been drinking, has she? Has Julie been been hitting the bottle I already? You know, is there a, a bar somewhere that I haven't seen yet? Or, <clears throat> but that was my first reaction. Has Julie been drinking? She ran up to us. She grabbed us both. Okay, now raised in Catholicism, right? Went all through the classes. Did the right thing at Mass. You don't miss Mass. We can learn some things from Catholics about being faithful to church. Hmm. Boy, it's important. Julie runs up to us, grabs us. Her face is all lit up. Her countenance has changed. She's not the same woman. And she said, I'm a believer. She said, I got saved. She said, I know what you guys believe. I, I, I've watched you over the years. I know that you guys are believers too. 59 years old, here's how it happened. Uh, Julie is a, the deli manager at Hy-Vee Food Stores up in Iowa. I, I don't know. You've got to go north to run into the Hy-Vee f- Food Stores, but they're great. Worked with a Baptist person, and she said, That little Baptist loved me to Jesus. Didn't push me, didn't shove me, didn't, didn't condemn me. But one day, in the Isle of Hy-V, that Baptist looked at her and said, Julie, what are you waiting for? Julie, what's taken so long? Why? And Julie said, I give up. Right there, the Isle of High v said the prayer, she became brand new Julie (laughs) because somebody cared, somebody loved, somebody prayed. My wife, she got saved in 1977, shortly after we met. She started praying for her family. Here's how she prayed for decades. 1977, that was a couple years ago, right? And she realized after being a Christian for two or three or four or six months that, you know, she was all excited. She wanted to tell everybody in her family about this new thing. Both Julie and Helen said when they first heard about it, it's just too easy. That's too easy. That's just way too easy. There's got to be more to it. Don't we have to take classes? Isn't there something, we a book we have to read about it? Here's what Helen prayed for decades. She said, Lord Jesus, I pray over my bloodline. My bloodline over everyone I'm related to, whether I know them or not. But she said, I pray over my bloodline that you will bring laborers and people into their life to show them you. Because, you know, a lot of times with your family, when you get saved and you're different, they look at you like Helen's mom, when she got saved, her mom gave her a little booklet on cults. This is a cult, you know. And here's a little booklet you need to read this, honey girl. Because you you don't want to go down that road. And she realized very quickly that she probably wasn't going to lead her entire big, huge family to Jesus. But other people were going to come into their life. And she prayed it for decades, and now she's starting to see the fruit. Julie, at 59 years old, is brand new. The power of prayer. But I loved what she said to us when she ran up to us. Yes, I'm a believer. I'm saved. I, I know you guys are too. And then she said this. She said, tell me everything you know about Jesus. She said, send me everything you know about Jesus. Your favorite scripture. I said, have you been watching The Chosen? If any of you haven't been watching The Chosen, you need to get saved and watch The Chosen, okay? It brings the Gospels to life, the humanity of these men, women, and Jesus, and yet still God on earth. And she said, oh, yes, I love it. I watch it, and I watch it, and I watch it. But her excitement, her joy, her enthusiasm for God, for Jesus, for the things of God, for church, She said, oh, my Baptist family is what she called them. She said, they're texting me, they're calling me, they're praying for me. They've scooped me up because it was her brother that passed away suddenly. And she said, my little Baptist family has scooped me up through this whole thing. God answers prayer. But you know, first we got to pray, right? And I thought about that. Am I that enthusiastic about Jesus? Do I walk into a wake or a funeral or I walk onto a job site and am enthusiastic about Jesus? Or do I walk on a job site, get out of my way, I have work to do? Yeah, there's work to be done, there's work to do. But do I do it with love and joy? in peace, in patience, in kindness. Do people know I'm a believer? Or is Julie just taking a shot in the dark? I know Helen is, but I don't know about Randy. Man, it was such an eye-opener. Tell me everything you know about Jesus. And I said, here's what I know. He is good and he does good. That's what I know. So then, you know, you're in Iowa. My sister and her husband live up in Clear Lake, a couple hours from where we were. I thought, man, I can't, we can't go back home without seeing my sister. And it's my oldest sister, Janet. She's 71 years old. Her husband, Ron, is 80 years old. And this guy is a physical specimen. He has a one-man excavating company. And he does sewer systems, septic tanks, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, this guy, you would look at him and think, man, you're about 40 or 45 years old. He's in shape. He's strong. Dan, you saw him not too long ago. And, And I'm looking at this guy, 80 years old, and there's no way you're 80. A physical specimen. But we've been noticing with my sister uh, through emails, talking on the phone. I haven't seen her in two years because of COVID, and that was their choice, not my choice. But We've noticed her memory is different. She'll ask the same thing multiple times, and there's something going on there. So I told Helen, I said, we've got to go and see Ron and Jan. So I called her up, and I said, man, we're in the state. Can we come see you? And she said, please. Come, come see us. And so we get to their house and we sit and we talk and we realize right away there's something going on with my sister. And you know, uh, they don't have any kids. They don't have any other family that live around them. So basically they're 600 miles away from us. But when I was a kid, she was, she's 10 years older than me, Right? when I was a kid she was my protector and when mom would come after me my mom would be in jail for child abuse today if she was alive all right because I got walloped with anything that was within arm reach or was handy I would get beamed with it and she would not hesitate to pop me along backside of the head or whatever it took to shut me up or line me out and you know what? I believe I'm somewhat normal. I'm not, you know, it didn't twist me and make me an axe murderer to get whopped in the head a couple of times. But, but uh, here's what Janet would do. When mom was on her way towards me to grab me or to pop me with something, she would stand in between us. And she'd say, Mom, Mom, don't hit him. Don't hit him. <laughs> mom, He's too little. You know, don't hit him. For years, she protected me like that. And somehow, Mom still made her way around Jan and would pop me every now and again. So my sister, Janet, means a lot to me. And we sat there that night around the supper table. And I listened. And we talked. And I asked him, I said, How can we specifically be praying for you? And that's when Ron started to share. Because we could tell the, you know, it used to be you'd go to visit Ron and Jane, and the house was perfectly clean. And she'd bake and make all these special little treats. Whatever your favorite thing was, it was there in piles. Meals, big, beautiful meals. And all that's changed. And she's struggling right now. And Ron is struggling. I saw it on him. Ron looked back at me and he said, Well, Jan is is struggling right now with some memory issues. And so Ron is still working all day and trying to clean house and help when he can and take care of her and all these things. And I said, Well... I said, we're going to lay hands on you tonight, and we're going to pray for you, both of you. Because Ron got real honest. He said, I'm lonely. And to look at him and to listen to him, you'd never know it, because he's a big mouth guy. We walk into a restaurant, and everybody in Clear Lake, Iowa, knows Ron. Everybody knows him. But he said, I am lonely. We've been looking for a church. And he said, we're looking for a church family. And he said, I'm just lonely. So man, we, we stood up and we anointed them with oil. And we laid hands on both of them. And we prayed over them. And I can't wait to see how God answers these prayers. But all week long, here's what I've struggled with. They don't have anybody. There's nobody there to look in on them. There's nobody there to check up on them. What's my responsibility as a brother? I don't know. you know, Ron, I know Ron's going to die in a ditch someday. He's going to work. He just said I loved." He loves to work. He loves to do it. And I just know he's going he's gonna to die someday with his boots on. And that's not a bad way to go. I, I want to die with my boots on. I don't want to die all curled up in a hospice somewhere. And I'm not going to. And so I'm thinking, okay, so that leaves Janet. What are my responsibilities as a brother? Do I make a place for her in our home? Do I move her to Oklahoma? Do we move there? Do we move there now and try to help? What are our responsibilities? We pray, don't have all the answers, don't know all the answers, but all I know is I'm supposed to be there for her and help her in any way I can. So yes, it was one of those weeks. Got home uh, Thursday evening, exhausted, tired. I felt like I had just given out everything I had to give. And it's just, man, and I'll be honest with you. I, I had my, I had a little pity party this week. And that was really a big pity party. I have seven guys every morning that I send a text to in Scripture. And I got discouraged, and I thought, I'm done. I'm done being that guy. I'm sick of being that guy. I'm sick of being there. I told you it's going to be mask off this Saturday, right? honestly I said I'm sick of being that guy of always we missed you I'm praying for you how you doing and I said I'm sick of it I thought well one of if I just quit sending these out every Monday or every morning every morning I said well one of these guys texts me and say what's up how you doing are you okay are you alive Are you in jail? You balled up in a ditch somewhere? Did you get deported? You know? I needed somebody to just say, how are you doing? And the Lord reminded me, it doesn't matter if you get a response or not. It doesn't matter if they acknowledge your text. Because he said, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about Randy. So it was one of those weeks. Very quickly today, I want to share something, a dream I had. It was Wednesday, July 14th, this year at 1.30 a.m. That's when I woke up after the dream. I'll never forget it. And my wife told me, write it down. It means something. It's real. It's from God. Write it down. And you know when somebody tells me, "Yeah, I have a dream I want to share with you, or I had a dream about you. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So know that. You guys that don't know me, know that. I'm not a, a flake or a weirdo or, a, or a, a church nut job, okay? Because I grew up around a bunch of that stuff. And even as a little kid, I knew it was weird and I knew it was wrong because it didn't point anybody to Jesus. It scared people. It scared me as a kid. And, you know, when people start talking about dreams or, you know, they're always seeing spiritual things and all their visions or they're always seeing angels or demons and just everywhere, just, you know, man, sitting up there on the speaker, you know, there's a devil right now looking at us. And I've been around stuff like that. And, you know, we chuckle, but there's nut jobs out there that do that. So please, no, I am not one of those. Here's the dream I had. And man, I I don't know what it all means, but I know it has something to do with prayer. That I do know. And so I wrote it down. So here's this dream. We're watching this young man get water baptized. It's me and Helen, my sons, my family, some of our Abide Church family. We're standing watching this young man get water baptized. And it's like, and there's two guys in the tank. It was a big old tank. There's two guys in the tank with this young guy. This kid is maybe 15, 16 years old, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. And for me to even remember this dream is a miracle of God. Because most of my dreams, I'll be honest with you, are of frustration and anger. The last dream I can remember besides this I had was I'm at work. I'm building a staircase, right? Oak treads. I go and cut an oak tread to put down. It's exactly, I can see it in my mind's eye right now. It's exactly one inch short. Okay, we'll just cut another one. I have an extra tread. I go, cut another tread. It's one inch short. You know, for a carpenter, that'll just make you say bad words sometimes, all right? Mask off. Sometimes the bad words are like, what the... You know, who, and then I'll wake up frustrated and angry. Or here I am, 61 years old, and I'm still in high school. The principal from Clear Lake, Iowa High School, Mr. Huntington, comes to me and says, hey, Randy, you can't graduate, man. You don't have enough credits. And I'm like, what the, what? Mr. Huntington, I'm a grandpa. I'm 61. I don't need your stinking diploma. And then I wake up, mad, hateful, bitter towards Mr. Huntington, the principal. Those are my normal dreams. I don't know if you're falling, then big jerk, and you wake up or whatever. All right. So this young man, he's getting baptized. He's getting dunked. Two guys in the tank with him are just faceless, don't know who they are, have no impact that I know of on this story. So they dunk this kid, and he comes up out of the water. And he is hooting, hollering, praising God, uh, fist pumping. It is like he just scored a come from behind winning touchdown to win the Super Bowl. That's the way this kid is celebrating as he comes up out of the water. And, you know, me and my big mouth, I'm standing there watching this. You know This is the dream. And I'm standing there watching this. And finally I just say, what? What? why are you so excited? What, what happened? Why are you, what? What, what? What's going on here? And here's what this kid said. He said, for the split second that I was underwater, this is what I saw. I saw my earthly father talking to my heavenly father, talking to God. And they were talking about me. This is this young kid talking. And he said they were laughing, they were crying at times, and they were saying things like this. This door right here needs to be closed. He doesn't need to go that direction right now. But this door over here, it needs to be opened. Because now is the perfect time for that to happen. He needs to take steps through that door right now. And then they'd say things like this well, well, this window, this window of blessing over here, it needs to be opened up. Not a crack, but flip that thing wide open. It needs to be wide open so you can see God's blessings now on this earth. And on and on they went. He said, I kept seeing my earthly dad, my heavenly dad, laughing and talking about me, planning. They were planning things for me. And then he said, all of a sudden, I saw God the Father and my earthly father. They started to build a stadium of red brick. Of red brick. And he said, this stadium was huge. It held Hundreds of thousands of people. You know, over in other countries and Europe and stuff, they have these massive soccer stadiums that hold 100,000 people or more. But he said it dwarfed those stadiums. It held hundreds of thousands of people. And this kid said, he said, he looked at God and his dad, and he said, what's the stadium for? What are you building this thing for? And God looked at him and smiled and said this. It's for all the blessings. And the kid said, hmm, what do you mean? The blessings. I don't understand what that means. A stadium for the blessings. What is that? And here's what God said to this kid. He said, it's not for the houses The cars, the stuff, or a pile of money. But he said, the stadium is for the people. The people that you will impact over your lifetime. And then I woke up. It was 1.30 a.m. I woke up with such joy and excitement. I ran to the living room and got out my Bible And had an encounter with God. Had my chair time. And whenever I read this or think about it, it brings me great joy. And I thought about it. God has just been showing me little bits and pieces of kind of what it meant. But for me, this dream was a picture of the power of prayer. The prayers of an earthly father for his son. And the heavenly father. And you might say, well, man, my dad doesn't know the Lord. My dad's not even alive. But you can be that earthly father. Some of you don't have kids. Someday you might. You know, we prayed over our sons' wives. When our sons were itty-bitty baby boys, we prayed over their wives. We got exactly what we prayed for. If we could have picked out three women women for those guys, that's the ones they married. God answered our prayers. And you might say, Well, I, I don't have any kids right now. Pray for somebody else's kids. Do you have nieces? Do you have nephews? Do you have friends? To have bosses, to have co workers, you can be praying and be building a stadium for them. I think about Helen's prayers all those decades for Julie. She was building a stadium for Julie. She's not Julie's mom, but she built a stadium for Julie. The impact that Julie will have. I stole these next two quotes from Pastor Dan here, my youngest son. And one of, the first one is this. He said, the biggest hindrance to unanswered prayer is the lack of prayer. You got to pray. And so many times as men, we have all these excuses about time or even reading our Bible. Well, I'm not a good reader. You know, I'm not a good reader. But I've been guilty of reading Hot Rod Magazine from cover to cover. I mean, every word. <laughs> even the page number. I'll even read the page number. Every word of Hot Rod Magazine. But I'm not a good reader. Okay? For our prayers to get answered, they've got to come out of our mouth. We've got to be talking to God. Talking to His Son. Here's the other quote from Pastor Dan. It said, growth is when I know him beyond a life of repentance. Growth is when I know him beyond a life of repentance. There was times in my life, the only prayer I ever prayed, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said that word again. I had that lustful thought. I looked at that woman, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. That was my prayer. Every morning, all day long, and in the evening. Because I made lousy choices. And I let things come into my life. But I love that. Man, it's time for us to grow up. You know, something we've been doing at our house, me and Helen, we we have, prob- we have a lot of time. Our nest is empty. The boys are gone. They have their own families. And so in the evening, not every evening, but here's what we've been doing, shutting the TV off. We have a prayer list. We ask uh, people on our A-team here at the church, people we know, how can we specifically be praying for you so man we've got a big old list we put on some praise and worship and we pray before we go to bed at night instead of binge watching uh, something that doesn't have the greatest language in it or nudity or whatever let's just pray let's pray you know so many times we take prayer so lightly well tried everything else in the book I guess we're down to prayer But yet the greatest thing you can do for somebody is pray for them. I prayed for you this morning. That's a big deal. The most powerful thing you can do for somebody is pray for them. And so we've just been taking that time to pray. And you know what it's done for us as a couple? It's brought us closer. It's brought us more in love with each other, more respect and honor for each other. But then when we go to bed at night, you know what it's given us? Great peace and great sleep. Crawling to bed, the second my head hits that pillow, I'm done. I'm gone. I don't fret about tomorrow. I don't think about all the check boxes I have for tomorrow and what I must get done tomorrow. Peaceful sleep. And we wake up refreshed, happy. I don't wake up, oh, man, my shoulder, <laughs> oh, my knee, oh, man. God has healed us. The power of prayer. I have one quick story, and I'll, I'm going to be done here. Before uh, Pastor Dan, when he was getting ready to go to uh, Lee Summit to start home church, was that three years ago? Four years ago, he had resigned from his, from his position at another church, and they were preparing and getting ready to move. And I knew money was tight. So I said, hey, come on out and mow, mow our yard once a week. Got three acres, and he's an expert at mowing and trimming. He, I mean, it's excellent the way he does it. He had a lot of experience doing that. But I said, come on out. I'll pay you a top dollar to mow our yard and trim our yard. So he'd come out and do that. And just about a week or so before they were getting ready to load up and move to Lee's Summit, Missouri to start home church, he's dri- he pulls out on the blacktop and he's driving south on the blacktop from our house just outside Claremore. And a truck and a trailer come by him going the opposite direction. As that truck and trailer are going by, a stud, a wheel stud, and a lug nut snap off either the truck or the trailer but it was big it was a big truck but the stud itself was about that long with a nut on it and as it passed by his truck it shot through the windshield and at first he said i, I thought somebody took a shot at me he said, i thought somebody was shooting at me it came through the windshield on the passenger side and and it went all the into the through the windshield. And it ended up making an indentation on the headrest on the passenger side. And I stopped and I thought about that. And I remembered that morning. You know, the enemy wanted to kill him before he went to Lee Summit, Missouri to start a church and leave a young wife and a young son. In an unfulfilled, God-given dream, destroyed. The enemy tried to kill him that day. If it would have came through the driver's side, it would have hit him right in the face or the head. Probably killed him instantly. But you know what? That morning, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. And said, "And man, I'm, I'm waking up and I'm just like, I'm supposed to pray. But I don't know what to pray for. So I started praying in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just tells me, safety. And you know, when one of your sons is a state trooper, I automatically think about Brad. Okay, Brad, what's his, what shift is he working today? Where is he at? And I'm thinking, okay, I need to be praying over Brad, right? It's Brad that needs safety today. Every day, every night, safety. And the Holy Spirit didn't tell me which son. The Holy didn't... Spirit didn't tell me if it was a co-worker or somebody out of state or somebody across the world, but it was just pray safety, and so I did. I used all the words that I had, and then I started praying in the Spirit and just let it flow, and then I had great peace. It's like, okay, I can go to work now. I have great peace. I prayed. I was obedient. And then that afternoon, he calls me up, and he tells me what happened. And a lot of people, when they hear that story, it's like, oh, Randy. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a quirky chance incident. Uh, you're telling me you are so arrogant that you believe your prayer saved your son's life. Yes. I am that arrogant in Jesus Christ to believe that prayer saved my son's life. This church exists today because of that prayer and the goodness of God. And there's times really every day when we need to take prayer, life or death serious. And instead of oops, rolled over, (laughs) didn't have any prayer time this morning. What if I would have done it that morning? Would the Holy Spirit maybe had to wake somebody else up? What if they would have rolled over? Too tired. Man, my back hurts. I was on a roof yesterday. Oh, man, mm-mm. Rolling over. I hope we're all convicted this morning about our prayers. condemned. There's a difference. The enemy condemns you. Your loving Savior convicts you. And today, that's what I challenge you with and encourage you with. Prayer is life or death. It is that important. If you have kids, they're dependent on you. If you have brothers, sisters, family, parents, friends, co-workers, And you just say, well, man, the list can go on forever. The list could be huge. Do you have time to pray? You know what's amazing about time? The things that I really want to do, I find time to do them. Well, Randy, you don't know my schedule. You don't know my boss. You don't know how demanding this job is. I've had those jobs. Where I felt like I controlled nothing, when you, my boss was a was a workaholic and he expected me to be a workaholic. But the, all the things that I really wanted to do, I found the time to do them. If I say I love Jesus, I love God. I want to see the lost found. I'll be in prayer. It might take decades. Is it worth it? Right now, I think about Julie. Is it worth it at 59 years old to find a new life? You better believe it. You better believe it. Gentlemen, today, I want you to know something. Here's what God's Word says about you. He says this, God's word. This is God right out of his mouth. You are forever loved. You are healed. You are strong. You are forgiven. You are adopted. You are whole. You are complete. You are his. You are hopeful. You are victorious. You are peace-filled. You are joy-filled. You are wonderfully made. You are a masterpiece and you are worth it, and you are purposed. Pass that on. Pass it on. God's word said, that's you. Live it and pass it on. You are loved today. God loves you today. And so do we.